Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, February the 12th, 2017. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMarsOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can check out the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We're back, and uh, obviously last week, had a week off uh, for the Super Bowl, and pitchers and catchers officially report today, so... The grind of the baseball season has begun. We have a pretty fun guest coming up in a little bit. Former Mets pitching coach Rick Peterson will join me. Rick has a new book that he co-authored with uh, Judd Hoekstra, uh, Crunch Time, How to Be the Best When It Matters the Most. Uh, Rick is actually now, he was working in player development for the Baltimore Orioles, but he's moved away from that. And uh, he's going to be doing some of the uh, keynote speaking circuit, so to speak. Uh, uh, He'll be out there you know, talking about his experience in baseball and, and, and helping those in other industries with some of the lessons he learned with coaching great pitchers such as Mark Mulder and Barry Zito and Tom Glavin, uh, influential during the Moneyball situation and, and so on and so forth. So Rick will join us, talk about that new project that he has uh, coming up. What better way to kick off pitchers and catchers than with a pitching coach, Rick Peterson. 
As far as uh, any news, I mean, yes, there was some news that actually transpired um, while we were um, while we were away, where uh, the Mets re-signed Jerry Blevins, the Mets re-signed Fernando Salas, and uh, when you look at the off season, when you look at what we talked about right after the Mets lost to the San Francisco Giants, essentially they did pretty much what we talked about, what I talked about, what I thought would be, I don't want to say a perfect offseason, but an acceptable or an offseason that got you excited and felt that this team was prepared to compete at a high level in 2017. We all know how important it was to re-sign Cespedes. I mean, that, you know, that's, that's obvious. We all know that. We all understand that the bullpen is important, and, and I said at the beginning that it would have been difficult for the Mets to go out there with value arms and position themselves as a contender. And all offseason, there was that concern. Will they spend the money? Will they bring back Blevins? Blevins is going to get a three-year deal. You saw pitchers like Mike Dunn and Boone Logan. They were off the board. You know, Maybe they'd have to go with a, a, a low-risk, high-reward option, a veteran like Javier Lopez, who wound up retiring. And they go out and they re-sign the two guys that I think were instrumental in helping them get to the playoffs last year, Salas and Blevins. Now, Salas is not official. The Mets traded Gabriel Noah to make room on the 40-man for Blevins. But I'm sure something's in in, in the works here. And, and I, I would have to think that to get Salas on the roster, a Gil Martin... I don't know if they would get rid of an engine, but possibly that's that's something that 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 would happen. So the Mets get the bullpen straightened out. They bring back Neil Walker. Um, they did not trade Jay Bruce. I know that that would be the one disappointment. But let's face it: if the Mets didn't, if the Mets not trading Jay Bruce, bringing back the bullpen arms that they have is really no issue. I mean, the concern you had is that if they didn't trade Jay Bruce. They wouldn't be able to bring back Blevins and Salas, and they did. And maybe part of that has to do with the way that they played the market. Kudos to Sandy Alderson. Uh, but this team is 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 pretty much set, with the exception if you believe they're actually going to go out and still trade Jay Bruce. This is the roster. And I know I've heard some some individuals call for a Kelly Johnson signing. Maybe on a, you know, Obviously, at this point, it would have to be a minor league deal. There is no room on the big league roster, on the 40-man roster. I don't know who else you would, you would take off. Uh, you already took off Ty Kelly. Uh, you know, I know that there's some discontent that they didn't go out and get Bartolo Colon back, but with $12.5 million, and look, I, I thought Bart did a great job over three years here. He was a big part of the bullpen in 2015. They needed him to bridge the gap with their starters in the playoffs. Uh, he did a great job as a starter. He was a guy that consistently won 14 or 15 games. But let's also face it, Bart feasted a lot on teams that he should have beaten, beaten and then you know, when there was a, a good offensive team, Bart struggled. He gave up a lot of hits. He was able to navigate uh, through a lot of damage out there. And uh, I don't think we should overrate. And also, uh, you have to be careful. When a pitcher is 43 years old, he could go like this. I mean, think about it. We just mentioned Rick Peterson that Sunday afternoon in 2007 when Tom Glavin got hit hard that final day of the season. Glavin was really not the same pitcher after that. And the following year, he went to Atlanta. I mean, it, it goes. Eventually, you lose it. Father Time always wins. And, and eventually, Bartolo Colon will fall to Father Time as well. I don't wish him any ill. Uh, obviously, it wouldn't, you wouldn't have heard me complain if they brought him back. But at this point, if Lugo, Wheeler, Gazelman 
can't produce an ERA plus of 119 and 15 wins combined like Cologne, then it's a problem. And I know everybody loves the home run and they love the Cologne uh, antics and him hitting and he had personality and character, but it just from an investment standpoint, you really can't blame the Mets. So anyway, the offseason, little cherry on top, Mets make their bullpen complete. There's actually going to be some interesting positional battles that we'll look for. I mean, can Josh Smoker now make the team? Will they go with two lefties? Uh, you know, how will Michael Conforto play into this? And that's actually where, you know, I'll start out is, you know, what am I looking for this spring training? And it is really, it's obvious things you start off with. I'm not going to sit here and say anything that you probably haven't already read or already know yourself. Number one, you need the starting pitchers to be healthy, period, end of story. And I laugh because I saw Andy DeComo of uh, MLB.com say, well, the Mets better make sure they stay healthy because after the top seven pitchers, it gets really dicey. Well, of course. I said this. You need eight to ten starting pitchers. Every team needs it. When you start getting to eight, nine, ten, that's when it gets dicey. Last year, you were able to go to Gazelman and Lugo and at eight, nine, ten. They were fortunate. They didn't know what they had. This year, it's a little bit different. You might have a, a you know, if he's still on the team, a Gil Martin. You don't know what you're gonna what you're gonna have eight, nine, ten. So you do, but but if you have seven starters to rely on, you're in pretty good shape to start the year. And then eight, nine, ten. If you get to that, that's a whole different ball of whack. Then you you got to start looking for trades and, and and what have you. But anyway, starting pitching, being healthy, the health of Duda and Wright. Wright, I'm much more concerned about. I'm always concerned about backs, but Wright, I'm concerned about because I don't know even if he can rebound and be a decent offensive player. His, uh, his de- uh, an off- decent offensive player. His defense, though, concerns me to a great deal with the throwing and the neck. And you just saw Prince Fielder retired from, from having, and that was his second neck surgery, and he did come back from the first. And everybody's surgery and everybody's rehab and everybody's body is different. But that, to me, is the bigger concern here is can David Wright play defense? And if he can't, where do you put him? You don't have a DH. I don't think he's in a position where he can become a bench player. He can't play the outfield. He can't play first base. I mean, it's a big problem. So you really have to look at David Wright. David Wright is going to be a big story. And I could see this going a number of ways. I could see this going where Terry Collins being who he is and being loyal to veterans. Wright gives you just enough at third base, but he, but he leaves you lacking on the defensive end where Terry runs with him and runs with him to the detriment of the team. I can see that scenario. That's scenario number one. I can see a scenario where mid-March, late March, this is not working out, and David Wright has to make a decision about his career. I could see that too. The third scenario, which I don't know if I really can see because I don't think medically that this is realistic, is that he, he now is healthy. He's had two years of injuries, and he, and he puts it together, and he gives you one or two more good years. Maybe not vintage 2006 David Wright, but maybe more like the David Wright pointing in that direction. That's the third scenario. I, I just don't see that happening. Unfortunately, the first one where I said Collins and you get a little bit of a, a mishmash of, of David Wright is probably what we're looking at. I don't know if the guy will retire. I mean, he's put too much time into this. But that, to me, is the bigger big story. The pitching health is obvious. But Wright and how he fits, not because they can't survive without Wright. They survived without Wright the last couple of years. He went to the World Series, essentially, without David Wright. I know he came at the end, but... Wright is not the core of the team now. This is Cespedes' team now. To me, it's you know, what are you going to do with him 
and then you have a scenario where now you're moving guys around where Flores and Reyes, who are depth, are now going to be thrust into being key components in the starting lineup. This is a good team, though. Regardless of all this, this is a good team. They got a good starting pitching. The bullpen is solid. They got some depth. Uh, you have guys on the way in Dominic Smith and Ahmed Rosario. Who knows if they can make an impact at some point this year. Offensively, we'll see what kind of offensive team. I have to think they're not as one-dimensional as they were last year. I mean, they hit all these home runs, and they score less than 700 runs. I mean, it's almost an oxymoron when you think about it. You're going to have guys that are going to depend on the home run. That, that's, that's just who they are. You don't have a slasher and base stealer and things like that. I mean, you have Reyes, but I don't know how much he's going to play. I don't know how they're going to fit all this in. I also understand some of the uh, fan discontent on Conforto, and to a lesser extent, Wheeler. Well, you're you know, not trading Jay Bruce. Now you're stunting Conforto's growth, and Wheeler may be starting the year in the bullpen. Here's what I would say. I'm going to say, first thing, I'll start with Wheeler. I'm going to say the same thing about Wheeler that I said about Jabba Chamberlain year after year. He drove the Yankees fans nuts when I was doing a New York-centric baseball show. Let him earn the position. That's it. If he goes out, and he shows he's healthy, and he beats out Gazelman, and he beats out Lugo. Throw, want to throw Gil Martin in there? That's up to you guys, if he's still on the team. Then he, he earned the spot, and then you're going to have to manage his innings, and maybe you're going to have to piggyback Gazelman and Lugo in some starts where you reduce Wheeler to a five-inning pitcher and bring those guys in. Or whatever you want to do. You want to skip a start and throw those guys in? You can do that. There's no crime in that if you want to manage the innings. But if he doesn't earn the spot, he is not entitled to it. He hasn't been part of this team for two years, and I don't care if they traded Carlos Beltran. I don't care about Super Tuesday anymore, and I don't care about the fact that he was a top-pitching prospect. He's got to earn it. He's, he's like everybody else. He's not in a higher pecking order than Gazelman or Lugo. Those guys actually have more recent success. As far as Conforto, the same thing. Look, it is a tricky situation. Conforto is probably going to go down if he gets sent down to Vegas. And if he is, his head is straight and he actually plays like he wants to be there, he's going to dominate the league. I mean, he's too good for Vegas. But you've got to earn your spot. I mean, he showed a lot of good signs last year in small spurts, but he showed a lot of bad signs. He didn't hit lefties. He got all discombobulated. The Mets can't go with a guy that was like at one point, you know, hitting about, uh, about 100 in the lineup. They just can't afford that. And you listen to Sandy Aldis, and he said it on the radio. He's been saying it now. He was in an interview in the New York Post earlier today. He doesn't see him as a backup. So either he's going to earn a spot somewhere, somehow. I can't see how that's going to happen because I don't think Bruce or Granderson are backups. Or he's going to go on AAA, and he's probably going to have to play well in AAA and – We'll see what happens. Maybe they're still working on a deal for Bruce. But these are good things. These are good problems to have. Earning positions and not being given stuff is good. That's how players get better. But the most important thing to me for this spring, what I'm looking at, and so far, you know, you talk is cheap. Everybody's talking great. You know, Cespedes is in great shape, and Conforto's determined to, be, to come back, and the pitchers are determined to, to make noise. Everybody's talking great. That's great. The one, that, the one talk that I hope is serious, that I take most serious, is Terry Collins. Because if you listen, or you read his column with uh, Kevin Kernan back, uh, you know, obviously a week before the Super Bowl, after the last time we were on, he's talking about now taking the next step. Something that he should have done last year. That everything, and he, he admits it, everything broke their way in 2015. And they went to the World Series. I mean, they, were, they, they seized an opportunity, but everything broke their way. 
And then last year, he was right. They showed some character. I mean, they could have folded that tent mid-July and said, not our year, and they did. Now, credit to guys like Gazelman and Lugo and TJ Rivera and guys like that that really had something to prove and played a big part in it. But now's the time to really become the team that they need to be, which starts with a philosophy on we're not here to you know rest and to ease our way into the season. You're here to prepare to compete and win at a high level. Nationals aren't going to give you anything. The Cubs are going to want to defend their title. Teams like the Braves and Phillies are better and are going to want to be able to stick it to you. The Marlins, I don't know how they're going to come back from their whole Jose Fernandez thing. I don't think they're all that good. Their owner is selling the team. There's always a lot of stuff going on over there. But who knows? I mean, they've always been pesky. You know, the Cardinals have, have, are, are always a team that, that, that seems to find a way. You have the Dodgers and the Giants and the Rockies appear to be better. I mean, it's not going to be easy. So just be, you know, every 2015 was gone last year, and they, they spent a good part of the spring, if not all the spring, celebrating, doing the Terry Collins Lifetime Achievement Award and celebrating 2015. And look how that bled into the season. Yeah, they got off to a good start, but anybody who watched that team in April knew that it wasn't a sustainable winning process, and things slowly unraveled as you went into May. They were not prepared to start the season. So that's the job of the manager. That's the job of the pitching coach to put a plan together to get these guys you know, responsibly out there with a workload and keep them healthy, but having them pitch. And it's not about the record, because you know what? The Cubs, if I'm not mistaken, had a losing record in spring training last year. It's about how they play. Last year was almost like a, a, a vacation that whole spring. Like, you know, are anybody going to play? And all you heard was, oh, there's a long season, they need rest, they're tired. I don't want to hear that stuff anymore. And that starts with the manager. He has to set the tone. And if you read between the lines, again, go to the New York Post this Sunday morning. Read what Sandy Alderson said. As long as the players respond, he's the right guy for the job. No more nonsense. You know, Wally Backman's not here anymore. I know that that was a big thing, for, especially for me, that I thought that would be the guy to, to jump in and really be the anti cons maybe shake things up and, and bring a different type of energy. He's gone. Um, I don't know who succeeds Collins. I don't know what they would do if this doesn't go well. This is his team. He's probably going to be here until he wants to not be here. So now you're stuck with him. He needs to step up. And he talked a good game to Kevin Kernan two weeks ago, but let's see it. Because if you start to hear, you know, the, and he even said it, he doesn't want to focus on the injuries. I start to hear all the reasons why things can't go well or the caveats. Then, then the mindset's back to where it was a year ago, and you're back to the same problem. The Nationals last year didn't care about how bad things were in 2015. They focused on why they, why they are better in 2016. That's what Dusty Baker did. The Cubs from day one took their disappointing loss to the Mets and made it a rallying cry, and they had a goal, and all they, that's all they talked about. They weren't worried about innings limits and injuries, and they were about tired about playing in the postseason. And you're going to have injuries, and you're going to have bumps in the road. But every team has that. So anyway, let's get to Rick Peterson. We're going to take a quick break. When I return, uh, Rick Peterson, former Mets pitching coach, he now has his own uh, website, rickpetersoncoaching.com, at Coach Rick Pete on Twitter. And he just came out with a book, Crunch Time, How to Be the Best When It Matters the Most. Rick is uh, starting a new career into the speaking circuit. And uh, why not kick off pitchers and catchers with getting some thoughts from Rick about his career, uh, what he's out there talking to others about, some of his philosophies on how he 
helped enhance the performance of the uh, many pitchers from Hall of Famers to guys who were trying to just struggle to stay on the big league roster. You know, what was his secret to delivering coaching tips and, and philosophies to them? And then uh, we'll wrap up and have some thoughts uh, as we uh, wrap up about uh, the, pr- the proposed rules. I want to get into that, but let's get to Rick Peterson. You're ta- listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show uh, live or on replay, depending on what we do at MetsMarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and uh, you can check me out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If I'm not on one, let me know, and I'll get on one. We'll be back with Rick Peterson right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today we're back and with pitchers and catchers uh, reporting to spring training uh, throughout the country we have with us uh, someone you all probably know Former pitching coach, uh, you remember him with the Mets, uh, A's, uh, recently in player development with the Orioles, also worked for the Milwaukee Brewers. Now he's on the keynote speaking circuit. You can check him out at rickpetersoncoaching.com, also at Coach Rick Pete on Twitter, and recently came out with a book uh, with uh, uh, Judd Hoekstra, Crunch Time, How to Be Your Best When It Matters the Most. Uh, Rick Peterson, Rick, Mike Silva, it's been a while. Um, how's it going? How are you? Wow, great, Mike. How about yourself? Can't complain, Rick. It's amazing. It's just it's been ten years since uh, you and Willie Randolph and that Mets team went to the National League Championship Series. I know a lot has happened, and now you're kind of in a new phase and a new career. But you know, just kick off. Uh, you know, I always like to get nostalgic. Do you, do you have any memories? Anything that stands out to you if you think back ten years ago and and those, your time in New York and and those teams? Well, I, Mike, I got to tell you, I mean, the, the Moneyball years were were so unique. Um, I mean, anytime they do a Academy and nominated uh, movie on on a segment of your career, um, you know, for the group of us, and you know, during that Moneyball time, I mean, I sat next to Michael Lewis for six for six months, you know, on the bus, you know, which was so unique. But then coming to New York, especially coming home, you know, being a Jersey guy, and 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 coming back, my my grandfather used to take me to the Met games when I was a kid, and you know, it was like it was like so like unique and so special. And I think uh, Frank Sinatra absolutely has said it best. You know, if you can do it in New York, you can do it any place. And you know, I learned so much about myself during those years. I mean, every year, but you know, New York, you realize that you know what, like you got to get punched in the face and you know get bit off the mat to, to get earn the respect for New Yorkers. And and being with Willie Randolph, I mean, Willie Randolph is is the most unique 
I mean, he's got the true heart of a champion. I mean, Willie, Willie, Willie Randolph has has more more games in uniform in a postseason than anybody in the history of the game. Not many people know that. And and so to be with Willie Randolph in the dugout and you know, Willie and I got like incredibly close. I mean, we were just like you know kind of like Batman and Robin to a degree. You know, during that time, and it was like just so unique, and, and it was like so special. And that 2006 season, I think, was about as special as it gets. And <laughs> the 2007 season was was one of those years that, you know, without getting into you know all the details, we we really just ran we we ran out of personnel is what it came down to. I mean, we we were we were just we were outmanned is what you you know we we lost. You know, losing Pedro and losing El Duque, and you know we didn't have the personnel. You know, we we filled those those years that year with 24 starts from the likes of, you know, Brian Lawrence at the back end of his career, Dave Williams, Chan Hill Park. I mean, Pelfrey came up as a kid who had 90 some innings in the minor leagues. He wasn't ready to pitch in the big leagues at that point. And and Phil Lumber, out of those 24 starts, he won two games. I mean, we, we could have got 10 starts from the lady making the popcorn in the second deck, and she might have won three, you know, <laughs> you, know you know, I mean, so, I mean, it was, you know, so, so it was literally a tale of two cities. I can tell you that it was the best of times and the worst of times. Um, and, and through that you grow and, and you realize how to deal with adversity and how to deal with pressure, which is what the book is about. You know, the book is all about, you know, every everything about, you know, the experiences that I had and in combination with Judd Hoekstra, who's co-authored some books with, with Ken Blanchard, who's, you know, one of the prolific best-selling business leadership authors of our time. Um, you know, so it's like you know, really, really just special times all the way around. And, you know, you, you obviously being in professional baseball for 40 years, you learn a lot, like you said, and you mentioned the book and and now you're on the speaking circuit, and, and obviously we've seen you on MLB Network, and, and you've been making the rounds throughout various articles on the internet, daily news, so on and so forth. So if someone's listening uh, you know, to this, this podcast, a sports fan, and says, okay, I, I'm not John Mayne, I'm not Oliver Perez, I'm not Tom Glavin, you know, what can Rick Peterson teach me uh, in my world, in my universe? You know, what do you say to them, Rick? Well, it's the same. I mean, fear, fear, worry, and doubt is universal. I, I don't care if it's dealing with, you know, as a parent or dealing with family issues, dealing with um, financial issues, dealing with career issues. It's just the fact that in professional sports, and I think this is the, the allure of professional sports, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's real-time drama, you know, right, right in your face. And, and you start to see how do these people deal, you know, with fear, worry, and doubt and how to deal with pressure and how to be able to reframe pressure. Because yeah, I, I think to the average fan, you know, who has a normal job, you know, they, they start to think that when they go through some of these adversities, that like, hey, like, like I'm, I'm like one of the only people that go through this. I'm, I can tell you right now, in front of 50,000 people and the people that are listening to this, and maybe one of the 50,000 50, people that were guilty, <laughs> that when Tom Glavin – and the Saturday afternoon, I vividly remember early in the season, I want to say it was like late April, early May, on a Saturday, beautiful afternoon, 50,000 people, sellout crowd in Shea Stadium, got knocked out in the third inning. And, and you could hear at LaGuardia 50,000 people chanting, Glavin sucks. And you don't, you don't think that he went through saturate with fear, worry, and doubt what he was going through at that point of his career? I mean, and, and you know, it's the lowest of times. And, and so everybody deals with it. It's just magnified. 
you know, on, on a larger scale in professional sports. And fear, worry, and doubt stand on four legs. It's a lack of preparation, a lack of insight, a lack of knowledge, and a lack of talent. And so if, we have, if we're prepared and we have confidence in our talent and we have the knowledge for what we're about to perform, you know, whether it's a test in school or a sales presentation, you know, or, you know, a keynote in front of, you know, people or, or dealing with your kids, you know, it doesn't matter, make a difference what it is. If you're, if you, if you're prepared and have the knowledge and have the insight, then you cut the legs out from, from under fear, worry, and doubt. So this is universal. We, we all deal with it. And, and what the book is about is literally a handbook of how to deal with it most effectively and give you strategies of how to deal with it. You, you talk in the book about reframing, and I have to think uh, you just brought up Tom Glavin, and, and everybody knows about the crossroads that a Tom Glavin was at during his career with the New York Mets. And, and at one point, it looked like he wouldn't get to 300 wins, and it looked like he would his Hall of Fame career would end on, on not such a great note. Um, using that concept of reframing, and, and I guess you kind of got a little bit into that uh, or started to tease that a little bit in the last uh, answer. Um, you have to think that Tom Glavin reframed a lot of things at some point during his uh, early tenure with the Mets when, when you helped him turn it around. There's no question. And, and that's one of the, I mean, and what's really cool about the book is that story is told through Tom Glavin's voice. That story is not told through my voice. It's told through the interview that Judd did with Glavin, with Tommy. And literally what happened, you know, for the fans right now, when you watch a major league game and they'll show you a uh, stat cast, like, like exit speed off the bat, that's really track man data. And so going back, the, the first go round of the technology was, it, it was called Quest Tech. And they put Quest Tech, Sandy Alderson, when he was working in the commissioner's office supervising umpires, they put Quest Tech, they didn't put it in every ballpark. And I'm not sure why, but it was in about a dozen ballparks. It was it was not in Atlanta, and so Tom Glavin, when he came to New York, you know Tommy Tommy was you know approaching 260, 260 plus wins, you know with without Questec, and so now he comes to New York, and literally when Tom would lead the dugout to start the game for the first inning, the umpire instead of leaving a ball on the pitcher's mound, the umpire would walk over and hand the ball to Tom, and said, Hey Tommy, you know we got Questec meaning that you got to throw it over home plate. Quest Tech is radar system. Now they have TrackMan. It's a radar system that literally measures, did the ball go over home plate? It either did or it didn't. And then they have the height of the hitter. And after every game, the umpire gets an evaluation of how many – he gets a grade. So if he calls a pitch that's off the plate a ball or a strike, that's a, that's a, that's a wrong grade. It's a wrong answer. And if he calls a pitch that goes over the home plate and he calls it a ball, that's a wrong answer. And the umpires that umpire in the postseason, those guys get the most right answers. They, they bring the guys with the best grades. You know, so what happened was Tom Glavin was, had a, at the beginning of his career, 260-plus wins, was throwing fastball changeups six, eight inches off the plate, and the umpire called it a strike. Well, no longer is that going to happen. Quite, the, the technology, just like in many businesses, technology forces us to make changes. And I didn't have the heart to tell Tommy that his batting average in New York on fastball changeups on the outer half of the plate was over 400, and he had to make a change. So literally after getting knocked out in, in the third inning, Jeff Wilpon called me in the office, and Willie Randolph was there and front office people. He said, Rick, is Tom Glavin done? Is his career over? 
I said, no, his career's not done. I said, Quest Tech has, has killed his old career. He has killed his old game plan. I said, but Tommy's got a new game plan that we've practiced in the bullpen, and we're getting there. Um, we're sneaking up on it. I mean, when you coach a Hall of Fame player, you can't. You got to drive around the block a few times before you're pulling the driveway, and you got to like knock at the door a few times before you come in and put your feet up on the on the coffee table. You know, you, you can't just come in and say you're going to make a change. And so this was a, a slow evolution. And so we go to Seattle, and he gets knocked out in the fourth inning, and we're flying back. And Tom sat in the back of the plane, and so I went in the back of the plane to talk to him and. You know, he's literally got his hand, his face in his hands, and he's just like, you know, wringing his hands, literally. And he looks up at me. He says, hey, coach, if you got something, you know, come on, man. And I sat down. I said, you know, Tommy, I said, let me make a few statements and let me ask you a few questions. I said, you know what's killing you? What's killing you is your Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin stands for fastball changeup down and away, six inches off the plate, and the umpire calls it a strike. Quest Tech has killed your game, Tommy. It's killed it. I said, no different in business than the CEO of AOL said, we're going to sell Internet access. We've got a great business. The CEO from Google came along and said, you know what? We're going to give you Internet access for free. We'll sell advertising. They killed AOL's model. I mean, that's a reframe. That's a reframe in, in a technology business. So I said to Tommy, I said, Tommy, if you had five starts to turn this around and, and, you, and you couldn't turn it around, you'd have to go back to the minor leagues. Would you keep doing what you're doing? He said, no, of course not. I said, let me help you lay out a new game plan, what we practice in the bullpen, and if you execute that game plan at a high level and this fails, I'll go back to the minor leagues. Give us five, give, give us five games. So I asked Tommy, again, this is back in 2004, I believe, 2005. I said, Tommy, name the most prolific, dominating performer in their sport. He said, Tiger Woods, no question. And that was Tiger Woods was on his crazy run back in that day. And I said, well, think about this, Tommy. Tiger Woods, after, after winning the Masters by 12 strokes, came out and said, you know what? I need a new swing. What? Mm. <laughs> he just laughed the field. <laughs> What's the matter with your old swing? He knew proactively that swing was not going to hold up. And he was criticized at a very high level for changing his swing because he didn't do that well for, his, for a while. And then he went into total dominance, total dominance for the next, like, several years. And... And, and that's really what happened to Tommy. And Tommy committed to that. And he went on to make the all-star team that year, and he went on to make the all-star team the next year. And probably the most, probably one of the biggest highlights in my career was Tommy's comments on, at the Hall of Fame podium. And every time I think about it, I get choked up. I, happen to just, I just happened to walk into the locker room that Sunday afternoon. I got to the ballpark, and the Hall of Fame ceremony was on. And I went like, oh, that's right. I forgot. I said, geez, you know, and I, and I texted Tommy like, you know, several days earlier to congratulate him and, you know, say, you know, really enjoy yourself. And, and, and as soon as I walk in, Tommy walks to the podium. And I'm like, oh, my God. I said, how cool is this? You know, because being next to Tommy for his 300th win in, in Chicago was a, another huge highlight of mine in my career. What a privilege. And he starts to say, you know what? I had two pitching coaches. I had Leo Mazzoni in Atlanta. And then I came to New York, and I, I, I was struggling, and I had to make a change. And he said, Rick, you gave me the confidence to do this. And, man, I got so choked up. I'm saying, are you kidding me? I mean, you know, being able to be recognized like that. But that was all about a reframe. You know, Quest Tech had reframed Tom's game. And we had to look at the opportunity. And I said, Tommy, here, what, what's the next opportunity? The opportunity is 
you know, you got other pitches that you've never used. You got a nice curveball, you got a little slider, you got a cutter. You know, you got pitches that you've never used. I said, this is going to be so much fun for you because you, you've literally been playing one of those golf tournaments because he's a big golfer. I said, you've been playing one of those golf tournaments where they give you two clubs, like a five iron and a putter. I said, now, you, you know, you're going to have too many clubs in your bag. And, and what you love most about golf is course management, and now you're going to be able to do some things that you've never done before. It's going to bring a whole new enjoyment, which it did. You know, um, you talk in the book about the almost the inner caveman and the need for uh, when things get tough, you try to go harder at at, at something. And, you know, you, you talk about technology and Glavin, and I'm listening to you speak, and obviously that's a reinvention of himself. People in business or in other uh, facets of life have to constantly reinvent themselves. And technology is a, a big part of that, Rick. I mean, with technology, you can't do the same things that you did 15 years ago. Uh, and you even look at pitching now. I mean, I know you're not in the game now. You're in a different part of your life. You're reinventing yourself in a lot of ways. But you look at these pitchers, the current Mets pitchers, you know, throwing 95, 96, 100 miles an hour. I saw your, uh, you know, I read your interview with John Harper. They may have to do some reframing. They may have to look at their inner caveman and say, okay, um, do you dial it back a little bit um, to move forward? I remember Jamie Moyer talking about that at one point, how when things got tough or when he was in trouble, he would actually go softer. I know that not every pitcher is like Jamie Moyer, but a lot of that, as you're answering the question about Glavin and, and talking about that, brings to mind some of what pitchers are going through today with technology, with the radar gun, and, and with the injuries and all the things that they're facing that maybe your pitchers weren't 15 years ago. I, I think there's a combination, and I, I think what's really interesting, you see pitchers, and you, wa- you watch when you watch the game because there's a radar, you know, radar gun reading in multiple different places in the ballpark, and you see pitchers throw a fastball and turn around and, and look at the radar. I mean, if there was no radar in the stadium, how hard would pitchers try to throw? <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, so right. so technology has totally changed. Exactly what you're saying has totally changed. You know, the way that we view it, and including and including the fan the fan base. I mean, everybody's so enamored with this high end velocity. I was in the I was the pitching coach in Milwaukee when we went into Cincinnati and Ch- Chapman Chapman had his first outing against us in, in Cincinnati. I mean, we, I had a chance to witness Chapman's first outing in the big leagues, and it was like bringing in somebody from Barnum and Bailey Circus. It's like everybody's whoa, here comes Chapman, you know, you know, every, and everybody was like. You know, he throws the first pitch 101, and you could hear the whole crowd just like, wow, 101. You know, and, and it's like, you know, everybody's so enamored with, with the velocity, but velocity is not directly related to high-level, high-end performance. And you'll probably, we'll probably never see the likes of a, of, a, of a Jamie Moyer or a Greg Maddox or a Tom Glavin again because they probably won't get the opportunity. You know, I mean, probably probably the closest thing to it right now is Hendricks in Chicago. You know, who's got a plus 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 change up, and he's he's eighty nine ninety, um, and he's got dominant fastball command, and you know, and people really, he's in my opinion, people are not acknowledging him at the level that he should be acknowledged because he doesn't have the high end velocity, he doesn't have that raw stuff that people, you know, start to like ooh and ah about. But th- this guy, that that fastball changeup combination, that translates into long-term performance without question. I have with me former pitching coach uh, Rick Peterson, now on the uh, 
keynote speaking circuit. You can check them out at rickpetersoncoaching.com, at Coach Rick Pete on Twitter. It, it, negative thoughts, and, and obviously when you talk about reframing, a lot of stuff in terms of the situation you're in is all your perception. When you go and you think about that in terms of the bullpen, now you have closers that aren't necessarily going to be brought into the ninth inning, and you also have set up guys that become closers, and it's amazing. There's always that debate you know, about roles in the bullpen, and you know, this guy's only a seventh inning guy, and this guy's only an eighth inning guy, and that's changing. But from my perception, there is a difference between getting the last three outs and getting three outs in the sixth inning, even though in reality there shouldn't be, Rick. That has to tie into a lot of the lessons you're trying to bring about in this book because that's another form of reframing or, um, I, I guess, just trying to train yourself mentally not to overthink or make the situation bigger than it really is. Well, and, and there's one example of that in, in the book, you know, from when um, Mariano Rivera went from being a setup man for Wetland to going into being a closer. And early in the season, he struggled a little bit. And uh, Joe Torrey and Mel Stottlemyre called him in the office and said, hey, listen, you know, you just have to have the same mindset that you had in the eighth inning. You know, three outs are three outs. And if you can just get your mind in the same place in the ninth inning, your stuff isn't any different. It's just it's just a different three outs. You know, that's the only difference. And and that was a reframe for, for Mariano. And, and And you're exactly right about what you're saying is that, and it's because it's always a mind game. Everything is about the mind. And I guess the easiest way for me to say this that people hopefully will truly understand, your mind is your master. The mind is the master. The body's the servant. And, and, and that's why mindfulness training is becoming so popular now because people are truly recognizing how powerful the mind is. And you take a look at all these, you know, top-round draft picks. I mean, I'm going to go to football right now mainly just because we just saw the Super Bowl and and you talk about all they you know you, they name all these you know all these top quarterbacks that were drafted they all ran faster they all jumped higher they all they all threw up better than 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 Tom Brady you know Tom Brady they kept him as a fourth quarterback on the team only because Bel- Belichick was intrigued about him what was he intrigued about he was intrigued about his mind he was intrigued about how fast he ran or how how high he jumped and, and or how great an arm he had. He had a he had a good arm, you know. I mean, if you grade out Tom Brady's arm, you know, it's a B plus. You know, it's not Aaron Rodgers' arm. It's not it's not Brett Favre's arm. You know, it's a solid B plus. But he's got an A plus plus mind. And 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 watching that game, and I mean, because this is what I love about you know the, that kind of sports because of crunch time, you know, literally. And you looked at his face, you know, because the com- the commentators are saying. Why aren't they hurrying? Why aren't they rushing? Because they, they, he knew where he was in time and space. He was slowing his mind down. And, and you know, being around Steven Soderbergh when he was, you know, the co- I was the technical director of Moneyball the first go-round that Steven never actually got the opportunity to do. But I, I spent five months with Steven Soderbergh, and, and as I said earlier. And, you know, he, I mean, everybody that I've been around that, that gets the most amazing people, there's a story in a book about – when I was in Chicago and Michael Jordan was playing baseball and we were all around him, you know, trying to learn from Michael Jordan, what makes all these guys so special is their mind. And, and, and if you can really pay attention to your mind and the caveman is that fight or flight response that we get that knee jerk reaction. Like when you're driving and, you know, as we all experience in New York and somebody cuts you off and you're like giving them the finger, <laughs> like, rah, 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 you know? 
you know, right. that, that's, you know, you go to that panic place, you know, and, and, you know, you listen to John Smoltz talk about when he went from a starter to a closer. He said, it's a whole different heartbeat coming in in the ninth inning. It's a whole different heartbeat. But if you can calm your mind down and you, and you have to practice it and you have to be mindful of it. And if you can be push that pause button when, when you're in pressure situation and ask your, just simply stop and ask yourself, what's my opportunity right now? Most people focus on problems. Great people focus on solutions. They shift their mind when a problem comes up. They don't dwell on the problem. They, their mind totally shifts. There's got to be an opportunity. There's got to be a solution here. And, and, and that's what, you know, those high-level sports moments, you know, clearly teach us. But this is applicable, as I said, to taking a test in school, you know, to giving a presentation for a teacher, you know, do, doing a, a, a classroom you know, taking your college boards for medical, a doctor going into a surgery, you know, it, it, it applies on a daily basis to everyone. And some of the feedback that we've gotten from the people who have read the book, you know, probably one of the most, you know, rewarding, I guess, the best way I could say it is it was a, it was a, a vet that, that was going through post-traumatic uh, stress disorder and he read the book and he, he emailed us and said, you know what, I've been going through this mental torture for all these years. I didn't have a strategy to deal with this pressure that I deal with on a daily basis. And now reading some of these strategies, I've started to apply them to my daily life and I've gotten so much more peaceful and more calm and, you know, relaxed and, you know, more enjoyable. It's still a battle on a daily basis, but it, it's given me a strategy. And and, and that, that's why we did this. We did it, Judd and I's motivation right from the time that we met was – both of us share one common thread. The quality of a person's life is to truly make a difference in someone else's and share, and share our experiences and our wisdom that we've had from business and from sports and, and, and the people that we've been around in business and sports to help other people, to give them strategies to deal with pressure. A couple of things before I let you go. What's First, what's next for you? Obviously, you're going to be uh, out there talking about the, book, about the book, doing podcasts, radio shows, television shows speaking engagements um if somebody wants to interact with you if an organization wants to interact with you you know what do you got planned in the near future and, and how can they get in touch with you well you can look up rickpetersoncoaching.com um and all you know all the information is on there and and you know we've, we've done several of these events well I've, I've done over 30 of them over over the years you know when when i was a major league coach and i thoroughly enjoy it and and you know, the response was like really incredible. And people said, you know, you need to think about doing this. I said, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I have a real job. And, but because I started meeting more and more people outside of our industry, going back to when, you know, from the time with Steven Soderbergh and then reconnecting with Michael Lewis and, you know, looking at all these people and realizing that, you know, maybe there's a bigger platform. You know, I've done this for 40 years. I don't have a, I never, I didn't have a desire for the last few years to really go back to the big leagues. Um, you know, after spending 15 years in the big leagues, I mean, it's a grind. And, and I, and I loved it. I mean, I loved every second of it, but you know, it, it's a point now that the quality of your life is like, how long can you grind like that? And, and, you know, so this is like a new way to really coach, to help people, to make a difference. And And so these are really, these keynotes are really, you know, coaching strategies for sales teams, um, for business organizations, so that they can, you know, teach their employees how to deal with pressure more effectively, you know, through these stories, and it gives them strategies. 
When you were living Moneyball, I mean, and everything about uh, analytics and technology and, and a lot of the things that you also talked about on this podcast were just starting to make it to the mainstream. We're going back maybe a little over 10 years ago. Now it's almost the, the standard. Is it amazing to you, Rick, how – I don't know if it's, I should say how quickly it's become the standard, but how if you're not at the cusp of a lot of this stuff in Major League Baseball, you're behind – um, in, a, in a game that hasn't always been progressive, let's be fair. That's not that's my opinion, not yours. I'm I'm putting out there, but the game is it's been progress has been tough, but it's it's a lot different now. I'm kind of surprised because ten years ago is a long time, but it's not that long of a time when you think about it. Well, it, it isn't, but 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 Moneyball reframed our industry, and, and Moneyball reframed many industries. I mean, there, there's many companies that have Moneyball type strategies um, within their organization. And and I think I think what it comes down to is realizing that, you know, predictive analysis and, and technology these are these are tools obviously, and and but they're tools to change the process, not necessarily change the outcome, change the process of how we prepare to perform. And I, and I think because people the one thing I've learned over my career from being around again Michael Lewis Steven Soderberg. You know, I mentioned a couple of people outside of our industry. I can mention other people that wouldn't be popular names, but and then people inside of our industry. W- what makes those people so special? They've designed a daily process for them, a daily process, a daily practice for them to perform at their best. And their focus stays on the process. It doesn't shift to the outcome. They they, they realize that you know what, things aren't going to always work out the way we want on, on every all the time. We, we get that and we can live with that. And that's also what the book talks about in some of those strategies. So we're all going to have setbacks. We're all going to have failures. A setback only gives us the opportunity to prepare for the comeback, for the next opportunity to perform. And if we can look at, if we can look at those moments as, as, a, as a learning moment as opposed to a setback, because what it really is, it's a learning moment to realize that, you know, I don't want to continually repeat these same mistakes, but when I get in the same situation again, I have a better strategy of how to deal with this. And, and I think most importantly, when you have that strategy and your mind can stay calm and focused, when I've said this many, many times, when your mind can stay calm and focused, we constantly see the opportunities that lie in front of us, you know, literally right in front of us. And those are the people that are the most highly successful. Last thing, you know, put yourself now. You're you're a New Jersey guy. I'm sure you still watch baseball, and you have the Mets here locally. Uh, as a as a pitching aficionado, you have to appreciate what Sandy Alderson has built here. I know there's some questions as we headed to spring training. Um, how do you enjoy this Mets staff? And and maybe it is a part of you that wishes maybe they came ten years earlier at some point. Although I'm sure you love the guys that you you worked with. Uh, these guys have uh, some unique qualities that uh, it's a it's a different staff. Let's put it this way than the group you had. There's no question, but but you know the opportunity to coach, you know to, to coach everyone is is a, is a total privilege. But you know when you look at the potential of how special this staff can be it, it it's remarkable and 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 that's a you know i you know dan wortham they're in good hands with danny um and i'm sure that he does not take this for granted by any means you know when you have these kind of guys to coach and and and, and the fun part is is the, these guys they all have the minds to do this it's it's obvious that they have the minds to do this as well and but but that mind is fragile i mean just because your mind is in a good place at one point of your of your career that doesn't mean that it always stays there. 
you know, and, and people always go through those, you know, times again of fear, worry, and doubt. You know, I know Tiger, like, for example, he's going through physical issues, um, you know, and I look at, like, Trevor Hoffman at the back end of his career when I was in Milwaukee, you know, Pedro at the back end of his career, Tommy at the back end of his career. You know, your mind is just so fragile, and you have to have that daily practice of preparation. Um, but the physical talent that these guys have with Syndergaard and DeGrom and, you know, obviously Harvey and Matts and, you know, Wheeler and, you know, the back end of the bullpen with Reed and Familia and, you know, it's a, if they if they can stay healthy, you know, and that's the key that, you know, that the starters can get 32, 33 starts and, and they stay healthy, it's a, it's a very special group without question. Rick, uh, the, obviously the book Crunch Time, How to Be Your Best When It Matters the Most. Uh, RickPetersonCoaching.com, at, Rick, at Coach Rick Pete on Twitter. Anything else you want to let the listeners know about? And anything else going on? And uh, I'm sure we'll see you again, and hopefully we'll talk to you again as, as, the, as the summer goes on. I look forward to it. Like I said, I look forward to the opportunities to, to doing some media and obviously keynote speaking and, and corporate workshops and you know, reaching people in a, in a different way other than just being on a uniform and share the insights about what, you know, what happens, you know, in those crunch time moments and then how to apply those strategies, you know, for people individually and, and companies individually. Hey, Rick, you've been generous with your time on a weekend. Thanks a lot. And uh, let's do it again. Have a great weekend. Always a pleasure. Great, Mike. Great, great hearing your voice and um, really great sharing some of this, uh, some of these tools for people to perform at their best. Thank you. And that's Rick Peterson. You guys all know him from his time with the Mets. Good stuff. I know uh, not completely baseball-related, but a lot of good lessons that you could use in, in your life and in your job. And, and certainly there's a lot of things that uh, I'm sure Dan Worthen and Terry Collins are going to have to use with this gar- current group of Mets, as we talked about in the opening. All right, let's take a quick break. When I return, final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. back final thoughts that was uh rick peterson former mets pitching coach a lot of interesting things in there so check out the book crunch time how to be the best when it matters the most and uh you know obviously you can reach out to rick at his website rickpetersoncoaching.com and at coach rick pete on twitter if you so desire i read a couple of uh, points before we wrap up one uh, let's start out with the, the change proposed change in rules i really wish and i was listening a little bit to rob manfred with Francesa, an older interview from earlier January uh, during our, our week off that we had. And I understand that all these leagues are trying to cater to a different audience. But sometimes I think you get too clever by a half. 
And with some of the proposed rules, the intentional walk sending a runner first, who cares? Go and do it. I mean, the only thing you're you're preventing is the uh, the very unlikely scenario where the hit, the hitter tries to take a hack at it, wild pitch, which has almost happened, balk or something like that. Just send him to first. It's not really going to change the time of games. Changing the strike zone, which changed in 1996, obviously because of the onslaught of of offense and how hard it was for pitchers to below the kneecap. Now that's a drastic change. Pitchers have been taught a certain way of navigating an inning, uh, that bat. And now you're going out there and you're asking them to change from how they've been pitching all along, especially in that lower kneecap. That's a very low percentage, low batting average area, if you look. You know, it's only, if you go towards that bottom of that kneecap, that very bottom where, where hitters, um, where the bottom of the strike zone would be elevated to the top of the kneecap. But if you go to that bottom, I think the batting average, and actually this is a Rick Peterson. should have asked him when he was on. A Rick Peterson comment I've seen. It's about 200, 212, something like that. You know, maybe less. You take that away, you're starting to elevate this game. And if, if, if what you want is slow pitch softball, I don't know if that's what the fans want. The NBA has gotten to the point where you can't play defense. And you have shootouts every night. It's fun, but it, for a traditionalist like me, there are times where I look at it and go, I wish there'd be a little more balance in this game. The NFL has become where you can't touch a receiver. And certainly the days of what you saw with the late 80s, early 90s Giants, we have those uh, what 15, 12 championship games where it was all field goals from Matt Barr. Those, you're not doing that anymore. You can't play that kind of defense anymore. I mean, you can play good defense, but it's hard. Every sport has moved away from defense, and I understand why. And, and to me, with, with baseball, I, I think there's a good balance right now. I think you're more balanced now. You have more home runs than ever. You're still seeing enough scoring. You still have enough of those 2 one one nothing. You still could build a team around pitching. Why mess around with it with messing with the strike zone? I don't think the Players Association is going to prove that. Now, the other one, which is, is goes in line with the changes you've seen with the NHL in overtime and the NFL is to put a runner on second base to start the 10th inning. I don't know how that's even going to work. Who would run? Would he just pick a runner? Anybody could start at second base. And then, and then what happens? So extra innings comes with tied. You start with a runner on second base. You bunt them over. And then you hit a sack fly and you win. And I guess it would add some element and strategy to like win in the first nine innings. And I saw one of the quotes about how nobody wants to see a utility player have to come in. I mean, how many 19 or 20 inning games does baseball have? I mean, baseball went from being the least progressive sport out there to now every, everything's on the table. You got Joe Torre, who, again, all due respect, Joe Torre to me is a guy that should be out there shaking hands, handing out checks. Talking, talking about the 90s Yankees, I, I don't see him as a visionary. He wasn't as a manager, and I really don't feel he's qualified. for. That. I've been saying this for a while. Joe Torre is a figurehead. I saw nothing. There was nothing about his tenure with the Yankees that was visionary. He's an old-school baseball guy. Leave the game alone. Stop tweaking it. I know they're going to play with it in rookie ball. It, to me, it's just, it's just goofy. I think the game is fine. And if the whole answer is millennials, trust me, you try to figure out the millennials, you're, you're just going to bastardize everything around. We can't, you know, the millennials want to change the world. You know, the millennials have to, to adapt to what the world is about as well. And they obviously still watching baseball because the revenue is there, the attendance is there. There's going to be some need to adjust the in-game ballpark experience, which teams have done. That's what they're worried about. The phones, the interaction, the, you know, group stuff that you see. That's what millennials want. They don't care 
for runner starts at second base. They're going to leave anyway. They want to leave the game. They're going to leave the game anyway. So we got to stop trying to figure out these this group of people that in a lot of ways are a bunch of clowns when it comes down to it. And they need to. We need to just just let's play baseball. The game is the game. The shifts. I know there's concerns on a lot of different things, but every time technology has come forward, and you heard it with Rick. Players who are great, players who are even good, they find a way around it. And they'll find a way around this. We still had a game during the steroid era when pitchers were having an awful hard time navigating through a lineup. There were pitchers who pitched pretty well. Kurt Schilling, Randy Johnson. I know those are elite pitchers, but there were pitchers who found Al Leiter, a guy local. He found a way to win. He'll find a way. Maybe it won't be to the tune of a 2.22 ERA but and that during that time, and it wasn't, but they found a way to win. So players will find a way to make things happen. Final thought, Adam Rubin uh, of ESPN New York, formerly of the Daily News, is leaving the Mets beat to pursue other career opportunities outside of media. I'm not surprised, you know, with the way that things are going with, with media. Media is becoming a part-time job. I mean, the reason I'm here doing this is because I love it and – you make a few bucks here or there, but I saw the tea leaves, you know, during my tenure at ESPN Radio here in Long Island. You just can't make money. And there's a lot of reasons that's not really for this podcast why you can't make money. And some of it is, I believe, greed and corruption. Some of it is the lack of business acumen in, in, in many of these organizations. And I think there's a lack of understanding from the suits with the value analysis of what people really are looking for. But outside of Ruben. I really haven't been using ESPN on any basis for a long, long time. I'm more of a local guy anyway, so I don't watch SportsCenter. I don't care about the the entertainment aspect of what some people are looking for today. But with that, I think, and you've read it, it's like an era, you know, Cerrone now for Mets blog is moving into other things. Like the era of Mets blogging, which I think the Mets blogs opened this whole gate to independent media in a big way back in the early 2000s. It's It's over. And I remember when I started in 2007, the two guys that were on my first show on WGBB were Adam Rubin. Adam was the first guest, and Matt Cerrone was on that program. It's been 10 years, which is amazing. So there's a little void now because Adam used to be the guy that really had a feel of what was going on in the inner workings of the Mets. Um, He always seemed to be the guy where you took most seriously his opinion. And now he's gone, so that opens things up. You know, who is next? You know, I love we have Kevin Kernan on and Mike Vaccaro and – you look at the Mets beat. We have Matt Aholt who's on. He's been great to this program. You know, I know Mike Puma's out there. But I don't know who will step up and really do the work. I mean, Adam Rubin, I saw him the day that Brian Bruni got into it with, uh, with K-Rod because of the comments that he made at a Trenton Thunder game, which I was there, and I was one of the only people to have that audio. Back then, it was the beginning days of Twitter. Adam was there that day. And I remember going to Adam, hey, this is what happened. Adam was covering minor league games, Binghamton Mets, Trenton Thunder, to learn about the organization. I mean, who can forget, I mean, the whole Omar Bernazar thing. I mean, I think that that was a little unfair to Adam. Adam may have been interested in getting to other opportunities of player development as a writer. It's, he would, you know, David Kahn did it in, in the NBA. Uh, so what? He's looking to, you know, ask people, how can I get into player development? That doesn't mean he's looking for someone's job. I mean, I think Omar took that the wrong way. That was at a height where Omar, I think, knew that he was in over his head. But there was so much going on over the 10 years or, or so. Adam wrote a book and what have you. So... Sad to see him leave. You know, I don't know if we'll get a chance to have him on the show again. I didn't really have him on the show last year with the ESPN relationship. It was always tough. Maybe we'll get Adam on and we'll relive some memories. Maybe I'll talk about that. 
But um, the thing is wide open, and I'm hoping, and you know, one of my hopes with this program is that you guys turn, you know, not that I'm covering the team every day. I'm not. And I don't have the same hooks on the team that I did maybe four, three or four years ago for a variety of reasons. But I follow this team. I get a feel that I know baseball. I talk to enough people. I, you know, I look at things a certain way, and I think I provide you entertainment, some pretty good analysis. I'm not breaking any stories here. If I do, I do, but that's not really what I want to do anymore. I mean, that, I can't compete in that arena. But I hope now that this show fills a void because I think there's a huge void there. And I don't think there's a lot of good content when it comes to the Mets other than the obvious. I, mean, I think the people you get on this show, some of the names I mentioned earlier, they're some of the best that are left out there. So hopefully this show could fill a void because we know there will be one with Adam Rubin leaving. And I think you're going to see a lot of more generic vanilla content out of ESPN going forward on that. So anyway, want to thank Rick Peterson for joining us today. Of course, you can check him out. RickPetersonCoaching.com at Coach Rick Pete on Twitter. Uh, you can check me out at Mike Silva Media. And you can check this show out all the time at MetsmorizedOnline.com. On iTunes, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back next week. Pitchers and catches are here. Baseball season's here. See you then. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.